Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you all again. Thank you. It is a beautiful morning. Every now and then, the Anglican Digest publishes portions of letters that children have written to God. In an issue some time ago, I read the following. Dear God, I read the Bible. What does beget mean? No one will tell me. <laughs> Love, Allison. Or, dear God, did you mean for the giraffe to look like that, or was it an accident? Norman. Dear God, what does it mean you are a jealous God? I thought you had anything. Jane. Dear God, my brother is a rat. You'd give him a tail. Ha <laughs> ha, Danny. Dear God, are you really invisible, or is that a trick? Lucy. Dear God, I do not think anybody could be a better God. Well, I just want you to know, but I'm not just saying that because you're God already, Charles. And one of my favorites, dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I really prayed for was a puppy, Joyce. <laughs> what makes all of these remarks funny is seeing children with their still growing and somewhat limited understanding coming to terms with the notion and experience of God. We notice the misunderstandings, which are usually of the same variety, namely trying to fit God into a concept or frame of reference that is more compatible with what one already knows or understands. Sometimes the limits of their understanding or their worldview are painfully familiar to us adults. They remind us of our own difficulties in understanding God, our own limits regarding our knowledge of God, our own difficulties, and coming to terms with our experiences of God. And we find ourselves laughing at ourselves and appreciating the difficulties that children are having. The last letter was a favorite of mine because for me, seems to capture an aspect of God at work in the lives of many I know. It is the one from Joyce which reads, Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. I like it because in my life and in the lives of others, what we get from prayer is often less than we at first expected. And then, after a time perhaps, we discover we got much more than we ever hoped to have or more than that for which we would have asked even if we had known what to ask for. But to have that kind of experience, one must get with God's program and to some extent break with our own expectations. And I think this is why many people feel disappointed and frustrated with God and with their own experience of God and or their religion. They didn't get what they expected or wanted. The lives of people are full of examples of this kind of surprise. A woman seeking marriage and children prays and instead gets a life of service as a social worker in a foundling hospital. A man prays to be a successful business, businessman, reads success as meaning money in this case, and finds instead a fascination with community development. A young girl asks God for a puppy 
and gets a brother. We are always asking for things from God, and Christ tells us it's okay, it's all right. We should do this. We should do this. Often, we find we didn't get what we wanted, but later, what we find was more than what we bargained for. It is, as many of us discover, very difficult to get out of our own way. In order to do this, we must stop fighting ourselves and listen to, pay attention to, what is inside our hearts and minds. And this is not an easy thing to do. And perhaps part of the reason why Christ said we should ask for what we want is we can only begin from where we are. This fact is so subtle that many simply don't see it until something happens to get their attention. One of the things I like to do when I give talks on spirituality and psychotherapy, my other profession, is pointing out this difficulty in listening to oneself without condemnation and blame. I point out that all of the great teachers in religion and even in psychoanalysis said the same thing. I mentioned three of them. Carl Rogers, the first well-known therapist in popular culture of the 60s, who said, quote, the curious paradox is that when I accept myself just as I am, then I can change. Then my old analyst, who used to say it so often that it used to drive me crazy, and then I eventually discovered why. It was always driving myself crazy and not listening to what he was saying. Remember, Glidden, the human being grows only in the soil of self-acceptance. I love that one. The human being grows only in the soil of self-acceptance. And then Carl Jung, who wrote, one does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light but by making the darkness conscious. I then put the group that I'm talking to through a simple exercise I thought up. I, I decided not to do this today, but I'm going to tell you what I do. I take three shirt cardboards and ask for six volunteers, and I have them, kind of, when they get up to the front of the room, I have them count up by two. So there are three ones and three twos, right? And then I tell the three ones to stand on the shirt cardboards. And then I tell the three twos to stand next to them so they won't cheat. And then I tell them, the ones that is, to get off the shirt cardboard without moving their feet or legs at all. And they just stand there struggling with the seeming impossibility of it all. They can't move. They look helpless. They start trying to figure out a way around the rules by asking me questions about what did I mean by not moving their feet or legs at all. Some of them will say that the exercise is stupid and what I ask is impossible because even if they fall off, they'll be moving their legs and ankles in some way. Right? But I say to them, the solution is very easy because you do not accept the nature of your predicament. You're still trying to figure it out mentally. You're still trying to figure out the assignment, get the right grade. 
but you're not fully accepting the nature of the predicament that you have just put yourself in. Usually after I say that, somebody goes, oh! Most of the time it's someone in the audience watching. And after a couple more minutes of this, it becomes clear. Because once you really accept the situation and that it is impossible to move off the car in the car the cardboard, excuse me, without moving your feet and legs, the solution becomes clear. You ask the person next to you to lift you off. Simple. Deceptively simple. And not usually understandable to people who are in their head all the time and are trying to think of the trick. The point is simply this. We experience God as not giving us what we want because we do not accept ourselves for who we are or do not know what it, who it is we are and so are always surprised and sometimes disappointed by what we get. We see neither the difficulty nor the solution, neither the situation as it is nor the incredible possibilities. To put it in other terms, we struggle because we keep thinking we should be starting from a different place than the place where we are. We don't want to be where we are and we keep trying not to pay attention to it. This means one can be quite unconscious of who one is or even what one's real situation is all around us. And this often leads to actions that are not helpful, not clearly thought out, nor well directed. We miss the mark, so to speak. And missing the mark, or in other words, missing the bullseye, is actually what it means to sin. Sin is an Aramaic word in, com, taken from archery, meaning to miss the bullseye, to not really get it. When Joyce thanked God for the baby brothers, she was on the right track, even though her heart may not have been 100% in the thank you. She was demonstrating good church manners, good prayer manners at the very least. But he was also attempting to open herself to the possibility that this might be a good thing after all. She was also holding on to her original plan. One might also say she was feeling anxious, perhaps, about what this response of God was going to mean in terms of relationship with her parents now that there was another child in the picture. And of course, she got more than what she asked for. She now has a human being instead of a puppy a human being to love, who could in fact love her back as only another human being can. She was beginning a great adventure with her brother that would last a lifetime and teach her as much as she wanted to know about herself and about being human, perhaps more than she wanted to know. Ultimately, she would learn who God is through this experience of loving her brother. When Christ said that God was a good father, he meant it. He was reminding his hearers of his own experience, Christ's own experience, and telling them that if they really look at their own experience, they will see how God works in the midst of their experience. Christ was telling them not to resist fear, 
or pretend you don't feel it, but to overcome it, to open themselves to God in the same way they opened themselves to their children. He was letting them see who it was they really were and were not. Not, not some weak and fearful little clod of a piece of flesh, but a vehicle of the power and majesty of all that is good and all that can be accomplished through faith, walking through their fears instead of denying them. As Christ said often, over and over again, hoping we would all get it, the kingdom of heaven is within you. That's where it is, within you. Christ said, is there anyone among you, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? Amen.